Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women and Bill Pock voices. We humanize our role models and curate a culture of vulnerability and belonging. This is a show designed to innovate, empower, and ignite. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. Innovators, it's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. And today's guest is someone who really knows how to build and grow teams. And she encourages people to bring their whole authentic selves to the workplace. Susan Otto is Chief People Officer at Blackline and is responsible for building, scaling, and elevating Blackline's global talent and culture practices and programs as the company continues to expand its global footprint. Blackline currently has about 1,600 employees across 11 countries. Susan has more than 20 years of experience building and leading HR organizations at mid-size and large companies across multiple industries, from hospitality to life sciences, gaming, apparel, and accounting automation software. Her career has taken her to multiple states and countries across the world with companies like Medtronic, Electronic Arts, ModCloth, and now Blackline. Throughout her career, she has been a champion of inclusion and diversity, increasing employee agency in their development, and creating cultures of connection. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you, Lisa May. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to diving in deep with you. But before we jump in, I'd love to learn more about you. What was your childhood like and where did you grow up? Uh, Well, I grew up in Minnesota, uh, one older brother and um, uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota, just growing up in the Midwest, a very large family. Both my mom and dad have um, uh, large families. And so uh, just have a lot of great influences as I've as I grew up, Um, you know, just growing up in the Midwest, having really solid family values. Um, a lot of family time spent over the holidays. Uh, I went to undergrad in Winona, Minnesota at a small liberal arts school called um, St. Mary's. Um, and while I was in school, I had the opportunity to follow a couple of, of early passions that I had from an education standpoint, but then I was also a soccer player. And I, so, so I played soccer for that team um, throughout my college career. That's exciting. So what were some of your earliest influences and interests when you were younger? And what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a great question. So I would say my, my early influences really also centered around family. Um, my mom was the first, the oldest of her family and really the first to uh, pursue a, a degree, an advanced degree. She was the first person to move out of the small town that she had grown up in with my dad and really was a great role model from a family perspective, but then also a very strong, independent, career-focused individual and um, was a great role model for balancing both professional and um, family throughout my career. Throughout my childhood. Yeah. So what did you want to be when you grew up? So um, early on, I wanted to be a professional football player. And then over time. <laughs> over I love time, that. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I think it was uh, I think it was in the seventh grade. You know, at that time, we used to get the J.C. Penney's Christmas catalog or I'm trying to think who else had like the Sears Roebuck Christmas catalog. And I went to my parents and I had circled the full on um, football uniform so that I could go and play football with the boys in the park. Um, And thank God they said no, because that I would have looked back on that with just complete horror. 
uh, at this point because <laughs> nobody was wearing the complete football uniform at those little pickup games. Um, but over time, <laughs> what I <laughs> what I got really go big or go about, home is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but over time, uh, where what I really got interested in was um, photography, and I really got interested in special event planning. And mm. throughout my college, uh, throughout college, during summers, I worked for this this event company that put on these large food and music festivals around the country. Um, and I I loved the hard work. I loved the energy of it. I loved the way that you know it brought communities together, brought people together. And there was just sort of this rush of excitement as you were working up to the event and then actually seeing it unfold. Uh, so those were those were some of my early passions. Well, I can definitely relate to that because that's pretty much the rush and, and the excitement we have when we're putting together our conferences. So I get it. It's a huge adrenaline mm. <laughs> experience. So as you navigated your educational journey at the University of Minnesota, what did you study and what were some of the challenges you faced? So when I first went to, um, and I actually went to St. Mary's uh, College in Winona, um, when I first, one of the reasons I picked St. Mary's was because it was one of the few schools that offered um, a degree in photography that had, um, the other interest that I had was physical therapy at the time. And I knew I wanted to play soccer. And at the time, St. Mary's had the sort of the best team um, in sort of a reasonable geographic um, area. And so I started going to St. Mary's. I was, I was studying photography. I, I loved it. I was a shutterbug. Um, and what I learned over the first couple of years that for me, photography was meant to be a passion more than it was meant to be a career. Um, and after my first semester, of chemistry um, at St. Mary's, I decided physical therapy probably wasn't for me either, um, as I found that to be a very difficult class. Uh, so I switched my I switched my major to business, and um, pursued business. And I, I talked to you earlier about how my mom was an early influence. One of the areas of responsibility she had in her career was in part human resources. And I didn't really know what it was, but through school, I was able to take a couple of electives in addition to my marketing and management degrees to better understand what um, was involved in human resources. And I really got started to get excited about what the possibility was in the field of, of HR. And um, as I was finishing my, my schooling, I had a, a really good friend who's um, whose aunt was the head of HR at this small resort company uh, on the island of Lanai uh, in Hawaii. And we sort of put our minds together and we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could go and start to have a career in hospitality in this amazing place in Hawaii? And so we started talking to her, to her aunt. At the same time, I had been working in this special event arena and after my senior year, that special event company was sort of waiting for their next big contracts before they were going to hire anybody else. So they had sort of put me on, on, on hold before extending an offer. And when we were, when my friend and I talked to her aunt, she said, you know, why don't you guys go and get jobs in hospitality so that if there is a job for us, there would, she would have some credibility in bringing us over there unless we wanted to move right away to be a front desk clerk or a concierge or, you know, some other sort of line position in, in hospitality. And having just finished sort of private school education, the idea of me moving to Hawaii to be a front desk clerk or a, a concierge or food server didn't resonate so well. So my friend, my friend and I independently um, got jobs in hospitality. My friend, in the meantime, decided to pursue uh, her master's degree. I kept thinking, okay, either this special event thing is going to happen or this Hawaii thing is going to happen. And so I kept in contact with her aunt every couple of weeks. I'd reach out just, hey, don't forget about me was basically my message. And about six months after I'd started speaking to her, she called and said, could you be here in two weeks? 
And <laughs> she's like, I have an opportunity for you. And I said, oh, tell me, tell me more. And there was a woman on her team in human resources who was going to be going out on maternity leave sometime in the future. And she said, why don't you come over, um, get established. You, we have a couple good projects for you. The first of which is creating a management trainee program, which if you're familiar with hospitality, a management trainee program is pretty common way for sort of entry level managers to, to come into, into hospitality where you spend two to four weeks in each department with learning objectives in each department with the idea that once you finish that program, you kind of know all the inner workings and you have a, a, a sense of um, respect and understanding for what the inner connectivity of all the different roles within the hotel. And she said, why don't you come develop that program? And then you can also in the meantime, help us with some other HR work. And then when this woman comes back from maternity leave, you can go and be the first person that goes through this training program. So I was thinking, that sounds cool. And um, at the time, housing was $50 a month. It was Ooh. this little <laughs> cement, cement floored, tin roofed, um, uh, little living quarters with, with three other women. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, what am I, 21, going to Hawaii, $50 a month for rent. How do you, how do you pass that up? Sign and they were up. really, <laughs> right, right. Um, and so my bags are packed. I'm flying to the island of Lanai, which I'd never been to before. And I was, um, didn't know anybody except this, this woman uh, who I hadn't met yet, but I had only talked to her on the phone. And away we went. And so as I was designing the, the, the management trainee program, and thinking about my personal sort of desires in going through that program, there were really three areas that I was personally interested in. And one, HR, which we've talked about. One was event planning. And this, these resorts are very nice. The, the conference planning, um, the, the companies that came, the individuals who came to have personal events, um, it was really high profile. And then the third area that I was interested in potentially was restaurant management. And throughout my program, through random circumstances, I was able to spend extra time in each of those three areas. Mm. And, and at the end of the program, and I'll, I'll never forget, I was sitting across this, this desk with our at sort of the corporate head of, of HR. And it was this really well-known person who had worked for Ritz-Carlton for years and was now working for this, this smaller uh, resort company. And he's sitting across the table from me and he said, you know, we, we have an opportunity for you in restaurant management. Um, and what I learned about restaurant management while I was in it was it really increased my respect for people who are in restaurant management. It's not all... Michelle Pfeiffer in Tequila Sunrise. Um, it's actually really hard, uh, hard, hard work, and you really have to have a passion to be good at it. And I didn't find that within myself. The other area was the conference services, the event planning. And coincidentally, when I was uh, in that, that part of my program, we had the largest event, the most demanding event planner from the, the, the customer side or the guest side. And um, I realized I really didn't, that really didn't suit me. And then he said, or you can really make a difference and st stay with us in human resources. I love that. And what I will often say is, I feel like I've been making a difference ever since, wherever I've worked. And I've been able to take that with me and I, um, I had the opportunity to be sort of the first on-site um, human resources professional for the second of the two resorts that opened on this island. And if you know about the island of Lanai, it was Dole Foods' largest pineapple plantation up until the point where they decided to phase out the pineapple and build these two resorts. 
golf courses and then um, luxury housing around those golf courses. So Dole and, Whip. No, I'm <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, you know, the cost of labor was so high in Hawaii that they found more cost-effective places to grow pine. And the, the population of people on the island of Lanai were primarily first and second generation Filipinos who had only ever worked in the pineapple fields. Oh, wow. And so imagine this company is coming in and saying, hey, we're sort of phasing out your livelihood. And if you want to stay on the island, because they were the prime, pretty much the only employers, you're going to join us in hospitality. And so you're going you're gonna to evolve from working in the pine fields where you can sort of walk the pineapple fields with your uh, with your friends and kind of talk story all day long in your nice cotton chamois shirt and jeans. Um, and you're going to trade that for these pressed poly fancy uniforms where you may in many cases have to interact, speak English with high paying guests of these hotels. Um, Lisa May, it was such a um, a life-altering experience for me to have, you know, to, to have a sense and, and, you know, I think empathy is a really good word to use, but to really appreciate how hard it was for some of these people to transition from, you know, what they knew to something totally different. Oh my gosh, and, wow, firsthand. Oh, it was amazing. And, you know, so it's from a human resources standpoint, it was one of the most amazing experiences where, you know, it was contemplating how to help that, how to help the employees feel more comfortable speaking English. So it was creating a hospitality English program where people could voluntarily come. They got paid for it, but they weren't forced to come. They could voluntarily come. And I didn't know how to teach English as a second language, um, but having colleagues and resources that I could pull on to help me create these programs that people chose to come to, look forward to coming to, had fun um, coming to, which helped them in their jobs become more proficient and more comfortable in what they were doing every day. It was a, the most amazing um, experience. It was, it was a, a kind of, Lanai at that time, there wasn't a movie theater they filled the, the grocery stores once a week with fresh produce. So the, I think the barge came on Thursday. So if you didn't get to the store by Friday afternoon, you were sort of picking for scraps um, or getting getting creative in, in what you were cooking that week. Um, it was a really special experience. I mean, just, just hearing about sort of the crash course that you basically had in so many different industry sectors and being able to really uh, design, it sounds like, you know, your career path from all of those experiences and being able to dabble and say, yeah, I like this. I don't like that. I really, really like this. And I'm really great at that. And and to be able to craft a career from that is something that not many of us will, will experience. So that's really uh, a powerful story. Yeah, it was a really unique experience. And, the, and there I was, 22 and, you know, because I was the only on-site human resources person, recruiting was sat in a different building, benefits sat in a different building, everything else like that supported the employees sat someplace else. But because I was there, I was actually invited into sort of the leadership team running the hotel. So in hospitality, you have a general manager of a property, you have your sort of food and beverage leader, and then you have somebody kind of running the rooms and and um, housekeeping and the front desk and all of that. And, and there was me. So, it, you know, it's three very experienced humans. And then here I come with all my, my interests and, and, and just sort of intellectual curiosity and having opinions about things. And, you know, they continued to invite me to the meeting, so I continued to show up. And I learned so much through that experience about, you know, again, about how hospitality works, but also like how businesses run. Yeah. The, the really like the importance of the humans who are behind the structure or behind the product that are actually making it, uh, making the experience come to life for the guests who are coming. 
So would you consider that to be your first big break or did you have another experience where uh, you've been able to prepare yourself for the next stage of your career? I would say that was my first big break. It was such a random opportunity that came about because of a friend, came about because of continued interest and pursuit which I have found to be important throughout my career. But for sure, that was um, that has really been a cornerstone in my career. That's so powerful. How, how did the next you know, few years evolve from those experiences as you, uh, you know, built your career? Yeah, so from, from Lanai, um, I, I decided to go back to school. I went and got my master's degree in industrial relations and human resources. And again, while I was in school, I met somebody who introduced me to um, individuals at, at Medtronic, which was the next company that I went to work for. And the, the importance of that, that experience for me uh, is that not only did I get more professional experience in a different industry. It was also, while the the resorts that I worked with in Lanai were very high profile, and there was a lot of pride in what we were doing and the, the level of service we were providing. Medtronic was the first company that I went to work for that was really mission driven. Mm. And the, the mission of that company is improving people's lives. It's a medical device company that that is known for uh, pacemakers, defibrillators, heart valves, insulin pumps, etc. And regardless of what position you were in, you were made to feel like you were improving people's lives from HR to finance to marketing, obviously sales and whatnot. And um, that from that point on, purpose has become really important as I think about organizations that I've worked with um, and as I think about the impact that we have in whether you call it human capital or human resources, the, the effect that we can have on people's lives inside the company as well as outside of the company, regardless of product, has been another really important turning point um, in my career. Wow, that's, I, I love that, you know, you've been able to take these experiences and bring those values along the way with you as you develop yourself into a leader, because eventually you would work at major brands like ModCloth, which was also one of our previous sponsors, um, and Electronic Arts, and mm -hmm. now Blackline. So what were some of your key roles and responsibilities and how did they develop over the years? So when I, when I went to work with electronic arts, I've, from, a, from a human resources standpoint, I've, I've mostly sort of had a very broad range of responsibilities. Um, handling, you know, whether it's hiring and compensation and benefits and communication and really setting the, the tone for the organization through sort of tending to cultures in organizations. When I was with Electronic Arts, I had the opportunity to um, move to Singapore and take what's known as a regional role where I was sort of the, that regional lead of human resources. We had, employed, we had HR groups in eight different countries. And I remember when I was going to Singapore, somebody said, you know, you really have to understand the culture, you know, in each country. Mm. And Lisa May, what I what I learned through that process, and so of course I did some reading and I was watching YouTubes and I was doing research to really understand each each sort of high level, the different cultures in, in different countries. But what I what I really learned or what was reinforced for me is that there are common tenets around the world in what employees need and want to be high performing and to feel valued. And that's, you know, feedback, 
It's understanding how what they're contributing or what they're working on, how that contributes to the greater purpose of the organization. It's feeling like they're compensated fairly. And that is universal. Mm-hmm. Um, there are nuanced differences, but really, if you if you understand sort of the universal tenets, it makes it makes um, there's a, a lot of commonality around the world. I think is what I would say. I absolutely love that you're saying that, Susan, because you know here at Wonder Woman Tech, we're we're literally redesigning as we speak our entire organization and, 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 and the way that we uh, work with our partners around building uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging initiatives. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's really around that, that those universal tenets that you're talking about, like what do we need to feel as humans? What do we need to um, have in place for humans to thrive? And you just listening to you say that was like a, I'm very spiritual, so it was like a sign for me that I'm that we're on the right path. So thank you for that, Susan. So as Chief People Officer at Blackline, you lead the culture of connection, which I love, and shape the company approach to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So what are some of the values and initiatives that you and your team foster and implement? Mm-hmm. You know, and I... I let me start by saying it's not just what the team, you know, the, the people team, the human resources team is focused on, but this really starts at the top with a very supportive, focused, empathetic leadership team. Mm-hmm. And we have throughout, so I've been with Blackline about three years now, and throughout that time, we've really focused on enabling employees to bring their whole self to the workplace. And sometimes people will say, we want employees to be able to leave their things behind and bring their best self to work. But we just believe in employees being able to bring their whole self to work and to be valued and recognized and be given equal pay and equal treatment and equal opportunities um, you know, while they're while they're working with, while they're choosing to work with us, quite frankly. And you know, it's interesting to me because we talk about uh, bringing your whole authentic self to work, and a lot of people are like, well, "What does that look like?" Because sometimes I'm messy, mm-hmm. or I struggle with mental health, or I struggle with, you know, uh, not being able to learn or adapt to change in, in the ways that my, you know, counterparts might, might, um, you know, adapt to that. So what does, mm-hmm. what does that look like to you? Bringing your whole authentic self to work? Yeah, I, I feel like if, if employees are messy, be messy. If employees have a different <laughs> way of, <laughs> if the employees have a different way of learning, Let's make sure, let's first acknowledge that people have different ways of learning. And so let's make mm-hmm. sure as we're providing learning opportunities that we're doing it from multiple um, perspectives. And let's make sure that as we contemplate how we're uh, communicating, that we're thinking about different ways, different vehicles, different methods that we're communicating so that we can resonate um, so that whatever we're, whatever the message is, that it's resonating with most of the employees. Mm-hmm. And so really thinking about, you know, as we're introducing different initiatives, or different opportunities, just making sure that we're thinking more broadly about how do we craft those messages so that they're they're received in the way in which we intended. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just so important. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, we are made up, you know, every organization, every workplace is made up of a bunch of different kinds of people with a t- bunch of different mm-hmm. stories and backgrounds and and ways that they operate in the world. And, you know, that's something I think now more than ever, I've realized as I lead my team uh, and and 
thinking about what their needs are and, and what they have to contribute and how we can support each other in the way. And it, it, it's true that you have to come to the table in a unified way. You know, you, you have to get things done still at the end of the day and be productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really a fine line, um, you know, to walk, to be able to create a place of bo- inclusion and belonging that fits yeah. for, for yep. all. Yep. And um, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's interesting that when, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of people will talk about diversity, equity, and belonging as a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. And we actually think of it as a solution to a problem in yeah. that, you know, as we continue to grow our, our workforce, that it's in the best interest. Obviously, it's the right thing to do. But in the best interest of the company, we will benefit by getting the best of each human that works with us. Mm-hmm. And the best way for us to do that is to make sure we're creating this environment that enables people to really bring the best. And really really like give us the opportunity to capture that. Yes. Speaking my language, Susan. (laughs) So what are some of your goals and metrics that you use to assess and build your DEI roadmap? And how do you support the development of your people? So um, a number of metrics that we use from just the demographics of our workforce. Um, And there are companies that have been chasing, changing the demographics of their workforce for much longer than Blackline has. And it's, it's, it is a long-term, it is a long-term process to change those demographics. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the demographics, we track you know, how does our pipeline look from where are we recruiting from relative um, sort of diversity focused or underrepresented group focused versus um, more homogeneous efforts and making sure that we have the right balance in, in outreach. We are measuring, um, we take a look in, internally at sort of promotion rates, tenure rates, um, uh, taking a look at pay equity to ensure that we're paying uh, consistent relative to experience and level within the organization. We are, uh, we, we are tracking, we started an initiative a couple of years ago around unconscious bias to ensure that as we're becoming a more evolved and welcoming organization, that people understand that biases are everywhere and that it's important to understand where yours are so that you can react mm-hmm. or that you can um, help a colleague understand where they may have unconscious bias. Uh, so we have a number of different initiatives that we're tracking our progress against. We have a number of employee resource groups focused on different um, populations, different underrepresented um, parts of our, our populations and helping raise awareness, create, create better community, stronger development, mentoring, um, and leadership opportunities across the organization. So there's a number of different um, different elements that we're um, that we continue to measure. And I, the other thing, you know, you talked about your leadership, and and I love that you you've also expanded your board. I mean, you added one of our favorite Water Women Tech pioneer people, um, former keynotes Barbara mm-hmm. Y, awesome um, to the to the team. So what, what, what is, what is Blackline's future goals for, um, you know, creating an impact in the industry? So the, what our products are automation, uh, accounting automation software. Mm -hmm. And if you've worked in a large organization in accounting, you've spent hours at the end of each month and each quarter, reconciling your your journals, reconciling your accounts. And historically or traditionally, it's been a very manual process. Hours and hours, weeks and weeks are spent. Oftentimes, companies, employees are, are walking around with an, a literal three-ring binder with paper in them, getting signatures, getting review. 
What our software does is it allows for much of that to be automated. The benefit of that is that those people who have been spending all of that time doing relatively lower level manual work can now be repurposed to do higher level, more rewarding, more complex work for their organizations. And so that's the black biggest line. impact. <laughs> 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 we can talk after the podcast. Lisa. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So you're passionate about empathetic leadership and believe that trust is the new currency. And I couldn't mm -hmm. agree more. Can you share more about what you feel are important traits for empathetic leadership and how do you build trust? So thinking about empathetic leadership, and I'll, I'll go back to when we started leading through COVID last year. From the very beginning, our approach was employee preference, employee safety, employee health. And that's really led our decisions throughout COVID. Um, when the George Floyd murder happened last year, the shortly after that, our CEO and I started hosting uh, Listen, Learn and Empathize sessions where we invited anyone in the company to come and share how they were feeling, share ex other experiences they had had for the purpose of first having the opportunity to share. Second, for people who maybe didn't have those experiences or weren't part of the black community or were just less, less ex like, had less exposure to diversity to learn from those people, to ask questions in a safe space. And the CEO and I often, we just listen and facilitate. Obviously we share what's on top of our, our mind, but we, we listen, we give people the opportunity, but we don't try to solve the problems often. We don't share, we don't see one-upmanship where it's like, oh, I know you had that experience, but let me tell you about when I had that experience. Rather, I can only imagine how hard that was. Sort of sitting in it with the person who's sharing their experience. I wish I could clap, but that would totally distort this podcast sound. So <laughs> I will wave my 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 hands in, in agreement because, you know, I think Thank it's you. so important to listen. I, and I think that's that is an important trait, if not the most important trait when it comes to mm -hmm. leadership and really when it comes to creating cultures of belonging. Uh, you have to listen. And in that listening, you learn and you grow and evolve. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm excited to, to hear that you led such sessions. Thank you. We're going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women in STEAM segment. Today's Pioneering Woman is Virginia Apgar. Virginia Apgar was an American physician, obstetrical anesthesiologist, and medical researcher. She invented the Apgar score, a way to quickly assess the health of a newborn child immediately after birth in order to combat infant mortality. Virginia was born in 1909 in Westfield, New Jersey, and was exposed to science and medicine all her life, as her father was an amateur astronomer and inventor. She went to Mount Holyoke College in 1929, majoring in zoology. She conducted her medical training at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons, where she was one of only nine women in the class. During the Depression, Apgar determined training in anesthesiology would be more useful, and in 1949, she was made a full professor of anesthesiology at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons, the first woman to hold that position. By 1952, Virginia developed a scoring system that was used to evaluate the health status of newborn babies. 
the APGAR evaluation became standard practice and is still used in hospitals around the world. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Virginia APGAR. Hello, innovators. We are back with Susan Otto talking about the culture of connection and the importance of listening and empathic leadership to encourage a healthy workplace for inclusion and belonging. So Susan, you are an openly gay woman. And as part of the LGBTQ community myself, as an openly bisexual woman, I understand the unique challenges we face coming out, not only to our families and friends, but also within our workspaces and the public sector, as well as the internal struggle to embrace our sexuality. So how has embracing your sexuality helped you to become a better leader? And did you hit any road bumps along the way? Mm. So I would, you know, I have definitely been on a, on a journey and growing up in uh, Minnesota, I didn't know that I had any gay friends going through high school or college. And it wasn't until years later that I learned that some of my high school friends were indeed gay. Some of my soccer playing friends were indeed gay. Um, and it took me a long, I was in the closet a long time in that I, I was afraid that in speaking my truth and in, in, in sharing the whole me, that it would somehow affect my upward mobility professionally. And I think, you know, coming out to California and getting exposed to more, uh, more liberal views um, meeting more gay women gave me more comfort in in my own skin. And I, I just got slowly got more confident in sharing more about myself and becoming a more authentic, which which I think early in my career, there was this this belief that you didn't bring your personal self to work. I don't yeah. know if you remember that, but it was just bring your bring your personal bring your professional self to work. Don't bring your personal self to work. Yeah, you leave everything else at the door when you right. walk through those doors. Yeah, right. And I think over time, as that evolved, I I got more comfortable with my sexuality. I made better friends where I was working, um, and felt more comfortable sharing more about myself. And I remember working. Um, at with one of my former companies, there was this this young woman who would come to work and talk about her weekend escapades in meeting men and having great experiences. And then she came back from Coachella one year, just lit up. And she had been with a woman for the first time. And she was so open about it she had told her mom about it when she got home that weekend. And I just thought, hallelujah, we're now to a point where people, <laughs> people can just share. And there's no, uh, there was no judgment. There was nothing but support from all of us. And, you know, I just have continued to become more and more comfortable in sharing what, what I'm experiencing personally, as well as what's happening professionally. And with that, I think brings a lot more um, power, power meaning confidence, meaning the ability to speak my mind, not being worried about who I'm going to bring to a, a company event. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's such a, a perspective that I think not everybody really understands, you know, even, even, especially when you're younger, you know, I, I, um, tried to first come out when I was 18 and then my mother uh, was like, no, it's just a, you know, it's just a fancy, it's just a passing thing. And then I was like, oh, well, I believed her, um, because I had just moved from New Mexico. So I also grew up in a small town. Um, and at 18 being in California, I lived in the Bay area also being exposed to these mm. liberal values and, and diversity, 
um, I, I believed her because it's like, oh yeah, maybe it is just because I'm being exposed. But it's, it's interesting when you think about, um, you know, showing up at work. Mm -hmm. At the time, I didn't work for myself. I worked for other people. So I I didn't talk about who I was dating and I didn't feel comfortable. And I still, I think it's an evolving journey because even though I'm open and out, there's still instances where I'm like, is it okay to identify as bisexual? Because Mm. even inside of the LGBTQ community, there's this stigma attached to that. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this, this idea of, of embracing sexuality and, you know, and then I've been exposed to uh, pansexual recently where I'm like reading about that. I'm like, well, that sounds like me too. I just, I mean, it's an evolution I feel like. And I love encouraging workplaces to, um, you know, really be open and accepting of, of our own journey because, uh, and I love what you said when you said, I didn't know that I, had other gay friends because Mm -hmm. it it is like years later, some people don't even ever come out. Right. So it's, it Mm -hmm. is just an evolving uh, community. And it's such an interesting experience at work because like, when do you do it? Like, when do you come out? It's not Mm -hmm. like the, the straight people that I work with are like, so I'm straight. And, you know, <laughs> now let's get on with business. Um, it just, it, right. It, there's not a, there's not always this natural. And, and if you're not in a relationship with somebody, um, there's not that. And my partner or, and my girlfriend or my, uh, cause you're, it's, you know, sometimes it was just me and yeah, if you don't have that partner to talk about, there's not often that, you know, that pronoun where it makes it obvious what your sexuality is. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other interesting thing is like having, you know, when we have new interns and I talk about <laughs> that, mm. it's, it's, it's always, I mean, I think you're, all, I, I think you're always coming out too. It's always a, it's a point of conversation, yes. unfortunately yeah. or fortunately that just exists. And I don't know when, or if it'll ever not be a point of conversation. But, you know, I use it to um, just continue to empower the conversation around how important it is to be inclusive, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The power or the freedom that comes with coming out at, in the workplace. Um, I, I can't say enough about how much stronger my relationships are with some of my coworkers with the, the, the people that I work with, the people that I support, um, when they know my, my true story, my full story, my sexuality as, lo- as well as everything else about me, it just, it crystallizes those relationships at a different level. I really appreciate that. So you've expressed a desire to take some time off to disconnect and recharge which is something I recently did this summer when I took an extended sabbatical and went on a spiritual road trip and a thinking vacation to reimagine Wonder Woman's Heck and set the stage for our company reboot, which we are currently engaged in right now. What are your personal goals for disconnecting and how important do you feel it is for leaders to recharge and refresh? Mm. Well, I think it's critical for everyone to take time to recharge um, and get re-motivated to to spend time, whether it's introspective or if it's physical or if it's health related or as you're doing, like just creating the space to reimagine what you do in the workplace and how you show Mm -hmm. up there. It's just, it's especially, I think since, since COVID and it's, it's sort of created all of these complexities for us in balancing work, home, children, spouses, stepping away from the computer, like giving yourself permission to step away from the computer. Cause now it's always just within arms, arms reach. So I think it's critical to find a way to disconnect. Uh, for me, what, what I look forward to is 
um, uninterrupted time with myself um, for the purpose of, for me, it's, it's primarily wellness around activity, um, I would say spirituality in whether it's through meditation or other means of just getting, just quieting myself, quieting my mind to be able to come back and be the better version of myself um, for mm -hmm. the, the group that I work with. Well, you know, something that I realized when I stepped back and, and recharged, I didn't even know I was doing it. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that's how from one day, it was literally one day to the next, I was, I like packed up my car and my dog and went on a road trip. <laughs> I, I didn't even plan it. And, and I think what happened was just like this sudden realization that, you know, when you went from this pandemic year of 2020 and, and this gap year that we all experienced in isolation and for us personally, and I don't know if anybody else can resonate or if you in particular, Susan, but, you know, it was sort of like we had to pivot and keep going without a strategy in place. It was just like, we need to, mm. we need to just, we have to change. We have to pivot. We have to do this and we have to do this now and we have to stay relevant and we have to keep up with the Joneses, if you will, and just do. And so it was like this fight or flight response. I felt that we just all suddenly we're doing a virtual conference and now we're doing this and we're doing, and there was no strategy in place. There was no pause. There was no break. There was no evaluation time where we could say, Hey, you know what? Like, let's let's listen, which I, I love that. Let's listen. Let's assess and then let's approach, you know, and that was what happened to me. It was like, you know, this summer I couldn't go forward anymore and I needed to just stop and like just re recharge, as you mentioned, disconnect completely. Mm -hmm. So I love mm -hmm. that you're going to do this. Yeah, thank you. You know, the level of resilience that we have all had to demonstrate over yeah. the last 18, 20, 22 months now um, is at all time high. And, you know, we know that employees, all humans are now experiencing a higher level of stress than they did before. Mm -hmm. And that if, if we don't take care of ourselves it affects us in so many ways, whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally. And um, the, I, to your point, the, the, the need to really disconnect and recharge and to give yourself permission for that is so important. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I hope you schedule that time soon. I went, I ended up in Sedona, Arizona oh. and just like yes. meditation and like, as I call it, that thinking moment where I just thought and I was just with myself and my dog and, mm -hmm. and it was just the best thing I could have ever done for myself. So good. You found some vortexes to um, meditate. Yes, in? I absolutely good. did. And, you know, I also good. found a spirit one. Of, I went to one of the top 10 spiritual um healers, if you will, uh, there. And, you know, to be honest, that experience uh, combines with, I actually spent some time with elders, Native American or mm, indigenous cool. elders, because I, I'm part of the indigenous community um, through my mom. And so I wanted to kind of reconnect with my own roots, my, my um, sort of genetic genetic roots, if you will. Mm -hmm, and it, mm -hmm. it, cha it changed everything for me. And it, it actually is the reason why we're redesigning um, mm. and being more mindful in the work that we do. And it was through that experience. So if I hadn't taken that time to recharge and disconnect, the, the, we would probably just still be in the fight or flight response for sure. What a beautiful experience. Good for you. Thank you, Susan. At Wonder Woman Tech, we believe vulnerability is an important strength to have and build, much like your empathic leadership. So can you share something with us that you've never shared with anyone else before? So as we're talking about the need to disconnect and recharge, what, what I can share 
which I haven't shared with anybody, is that, you know, over the last 18 months, there have been, you know, obviously a significant amount of emotion and effort as we've led our organization through the pandemic and, and handling our employees as, as um, tenderly as we could. There have been another number of other really large efforts professionally that I've had to work through. And then personally, I've also been experiencing some significant shifts in personal relationships. And all of, all of that combined has led me to a place where if I don't step away and recharge, uh, I feel like I will, um, that I need to. If, and if I don't, it will affect my ability to show up for the people I care for, for the people I love, and for the people that I work with. I really appreciate you sharing that, Susan, because I mean, that, uh, like that's that's exactly where I stood in June. I, I I we had gone through so much loss. We lost somebody to cancer. Mm. I'm dealing with four other people in my life with cancer as we speak mm. and uh, having a pivot and isolation. And my dog's amazing, but she she doesn't talk back. Um, and it was just, you know, you, you find a, yourself in a place where, you know, you have to lead, but you also are a human at the end of the day. And, and I, much like you just said, if, if I didn't do something, if I didn't do something for myself, there, I would combust and Mm -hmm. everything along with me, Mm -hmm. um, would combust as well. And I knew I couldn't let that happen, but uh, the only choice I had was to was to do this for myself. And like I said, it, from one day to the next, I didn't even know. Um, my team didn't know. It was yeah, just like, I'm on the road, guys, and here I am. So, you know, sometimes you have to just recognize that in order to be the best leader, you have to be your best you mm-hmm. and show up for yourself first. Agreed. That whole uh, airplane, you know, strap yourself to the mask first was never more real in my life Mm. than it has been this summer, for sure. Such a good analogy. Thank you for being so vulnerable with us, Susan. We hold you in the the highest regard and we um, look forward to hearing how this reset will allow you to be even greater in this space. Thank you. So looking back on the course of your life... Would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? Oh, road less traveled, always. Sort of how I go go about my life. I, I feel like I've always chosen the different path, the other path, uh, for purpose of exploration and understanding. And, you know, I have this um, this this intellectual curiosity and this this curiosity of what else is out there. And so I would always choose the path less traveled. (laughs) I love that. What else is out there? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, do you go to the same restaurant twice or do you try a new restaurant? It's always the new restaurant. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm like (laughs) that when I'm at sushi places, I'm like, well, this looks a little scary. I'll try it. (laughs) And then you know, sometimes I'm like, why, 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 Lisa mm. May? Why the explorer in you has to come out <laughs> and yeah. you're now with a mouthful of just slimy somethings. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate you just being, you know, able to showcase to us what true vulnerability and empathic leadership looks like. Um, you know, it, it's been such a pleasure to, to sit down with you, Susan, today and to learn more about you and to see how you're leading, you know, and paving the pathways for better inclusion and belonging in the workspace. Thank you, Lisa May. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here, Innovators. Make sure you give us a like and share the podcast with your network. We'll see you next week.
when we take on the world one more time.